Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chet Ingram, and I'm one of the staff members at Ebenezer. Thank you so much for choosing to join us in person or online this morning. For announcements this morning, we have a few things to let you know about for this week. If you haven't already contributed a memory to our journey wall in the hallway by the chapel, please pick up a memory form at the coffee station in the lobby or off our website and send it in to us. There are already some great memories and photos up on the wall, and we will only have the the journey wall up until the end of March. So the time is now to contribute. And lastly, Pastor Layton will have some important and exciting updates regarding Ebenezer's future that he will announce next Sunday. And we wanted to give you a heads up this week because we don't want you to miss it. So please tune in online or try to be present with us. Thanks, Chet. Uh, The slide's up. Kids, if you want to head out to Rush, feel free. I think it's great that as a church family, we've got children with us. Uh, I really enjoy having them in in the service, and it's awesome for them, too, that they can head out to Rush. Thanks to all of those volunteers who are a part of that. Good morning. It's good to see you in person. I'm missing some of those creative masks, though. Some of those were lots of fun to, uh, to see in, in different people. Um, but it is definitely good to see faces and, and smiling faces back uh, at us this morning. And as well, it's good to see our online uh, family as well. Great to be here worshiping all together, online and here even in person. A few weeks ago, a new family came to Ebenezer, and I went over to chat with them like I usually do. But after saying hi, I was actually a little bit surprised at their response. We're such and such. You married us. I'm not sure if you've ever gotten that, but yeah, okay. I quickly recognized them then once I got their names, but they looked a bit different, especially him. He had a big head of dark hair when I, when I did the, the, the wedding way back when, and now he was gray, and, and he had a full beard, and the four kids that were with him obviously was an addition and, and a change too. Um, probably 15 or 20 years ago, when I had done their wedding. And then, of course, they said that phrase that I think all of us like to hear at some point in our lives, especially when we bump into people that we haven't seen for a long, long time. He said, you're looking good. You haven't changed a bit. (laughs) 20 years, yeah. I know they were just being polite. But how many of us like to hear that phrase? Like, seriously, no, give me your hand if if you like to hear that phrase every once in a while. Come on. Yeah, there's some in the back, some staff who... You know, they have to be honest and truthful. <laughs> we, we do like to hear that phrase, don't we? You haven't changed a bit. Like physically, we take that as a great compliment, you know. But as we look at our passage today, in all honesty, we see that not changing, not changing is not a, a compliment at all, especially when we're talking about spiritual things. In fact, Peter's challenge to his readers is to do everything within their power to change, to grow and to develop in terms of their spiritual maturity and their godly character. So last week, Leighton introduced our series on 2 Peter, 
And in the first few verses, we saw three key, three, three key things. First, we saw that in Christ, we've been given power for living a life of godliness. Now, this power comes through the Word of God and the, the Spirit of God. With these resources, the follower of Jesus has everything needed to live a life that's God-honoring. Second, we saw that as believers, we've been given the promises of God. The promises of salvation, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit, all of these have been given by God, and they've all been fulfilled by God. And so we see that God is a promise maker, and we see as well in Scripture, He is a promise keeper. And we see in our lives that He's a promise keeper. And this gives the believer hope that God will, in fact, keep every promise that He's made. Those that He's made and fulfilled in the past, and those that have yet to be fulfilled, including a second coming. Thirdly, we, see that we saw that as believers, we are partakers in the nature of God. The Spirit of God's at work in everyone who is named Jesus as Lord, changing and shaping us to become more and more like Him. Now, it's not that we're made perfect now. That will only come in glory. But God, by His Spirit, is slowly changing us to reflect the nature of God more and more. Now, today in our next section of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, we'll see that in response to the incredible spiritual blessings that God has given, we as followers of Jesus should make every effort to change, to change and to grow spiritually in order to look more and more like Jesus. And I'll read our section today. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. It should be up on the screen, and as well, you can pull it up on your devices or whatever it is that you might have there. Some of you may even actually have paper. That's okay, too. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I want to point out here this morning, our first point is this. The follower of Jesus should be diligent to grow spiritually. Make every effort to add to your faith. Work hard at this. Make every effort. Now that's pretty, pretty plain language for us. And so before we move on, I just want to take a moment to clarify something that's very important. There's a big difference between earning and effort. We're not called to work diligently. We're not called to work hard to earn our salvation. Salvation only comes by the grace of God. It's not through our own effort. Ephesians 2.8 says, it's by, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And so we don't work hard to earn our salvation. But we should give our best effort because we've been saved. And so our diligence, the diligence that Peter is calling us to here, our effort is a loving response to God who has given us so much. In the NIV it read, make every effort. In the New American Standard, we're going to kind of go back and forth with those a little bit today, it says applying all diligence. And I like, the, I like the language in the, the New American here just a little bit better. The original word translated as applying means to come closely alongside. To come right alongside in order to contribute something that's necessary. So to apply our, our diligence. Diligence, we get that word. Eagerness, earnestness, 
effort, intense effort and determination. And so when you put these words together in the context of the believer's spiritual growth, we see that Peter is challenging the believer to come alongside of the glorious work that Christ has already established for us, the power that we talked about last week, the power of the promises, the partaking of God's nature. Come alongside of those things that God has already done for us and give our best, most enthusiastic effort in response to what God has done in order to grow. Now, this concept that Peter gives us here is actually paralleled by Paul when he says this to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to read a verse here that I'm sure that a number of us have heard, and there's probably a number of us going, I really don't get what that means. But I'll read it here, and we'll, it'll, it'll make more sense. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, and then here's the part, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's this idea of applying all diligence of coming alongside of what God has done for us. And then verse 13 of Philippians says this, For it's God who is at work uh, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now this speaks of the provision of God's Spirit to do his work in us. I'm going to take it just another step further here. Another, another familiar passage, but we'll put it into this perspective as well. I think it really makes the picture a little more clear. Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Two things happening here, building a house and watching over a city. Now, notice the Lord's involvement. It isn't one of just helping with the building and the watching, but of actually doing the building of the house and the watching over the city. God does this while at the same time, the builder builds and the watchman watches. And so the message here is that the Lord doesn't merely help the builder and the watchman. He is totally and completely involved with them in the process. He supplies all of the enabling power, and they do all the tangible work. And I think what both Peter and Paul are describing here is what some have called, as the, they've, they've named it the 100%, 100% spiritual principle. As believers, we're 100% responsible to be diligent in our pursuit of spiritual maturity. And we're also 100% dependent upon the Spirit of God to give us the holy longing to grow in the holy power to do what He has for us. Now, it's a combination of 100% our effort, not earning, but our effort, and 100% of the Lord's enabling. But let's not mistake this as a partnership where both parties are contributing equally. Both we and the Spirit of God give 100%. But the 100% given by the Spirit is far greater and more powerful than what we give. So we all know what the number eight looks like. Turn it on its side. What's that symbol for? My son actually malted to me in the first service. He's a math guy. That's the infinity symbol. That's what it is that God is giving us in terms of his 100%. We give our 100%, but he gives that. What he gives goes to infinity. It's immeasurable. Just as Ephesians says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, than we ask or imagine according to his power that is, that is at work within us. And that's what Peter's describing here in verse 5 when he says, be diligent. We're 100% responsible for our effort in our pursuit of spiritual maturity and we're 100% dependent upon the Spirit of God who supplies far more than we could ever dream of. Now, as Paul says to the Philippians, I can do all things through him 
who strengthens me. And I don't know about you, but this, this concept, this passage gives me hope. Because in those times when we've been working hard to be faithful and to grow, and it seems like we're just really not getting anywhere sometimes, we're tempted to give up. We need to know that our efforts are not in vain because the Holy Spirit is partnering with us in our pursuit of godliness, doing more than we could ever imagine. Now, here's the second point I want us to notice this morning. The follower of Jesus should focus on growing their character. And I'm reading from the New American here. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, there was an interesting practice in, in Greek culture at this point in time. The state would actually establish like a musical group of all things. There was no TV, there was no internet. There, entertainment was a big thing, though. The arts was a big thing in this culture. And so they would establish this group, this chorus, and it would travel around from, from time to, uh, town to town, rather, and give performances. But the government didn't pay all of the expenses associated with the, with the performance when it came to your town. Instead, that responsibility was given to a local wealthy donor who would go above and beyond to supply absolutely everything needed to make the event the standout event of the year. And that's what Peter is talking about when he says this in this verse, in your faith, supply. The follower of Jesus is to work in conjunction with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, just as the wealthy donor worked with the state to supply, to give generously and lavishly of ourselves to accomplish what it is that God has for us. And that's the picture that's there. What is it that God wants to accomplish? He wants to develop godly character in us. Now, the seven traits that Peter lists here are character traits which the believer is to strive toward. And faith is the foundation for spiritual growth, in your faith supply. And so placing our faith in Christ starts us on that journey of spiritual growth and empowers us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, some writers describe these traits like rungs in a ladder, where each one builds upon the previous one. Now, it's not that we need to completely have nailed down the first trait before we move on to the next one, but I think that the latter imagery is helpful for a couple of reasons. First, these traits are interconnected. There is a sense of moving through them, and, and they're connected one to another as we move forward in terms of our spiritual growth. And secondly, I think it's helpful when thinking of faith in Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit as the foundation for this latter. I'll give you a quick story. Several years back, I worked in construction, um, took a break from ministry, wanted to live life on the other side of the pulpit for a while to just see what that was like. Hadn't done that for a bit. And one of my roles with the company uh, was to oversee the safety aspect of the company. It was a residential home builder, had houses in the parade of homes, different things. There's still lots of houses that they're building in the city here. Now, in construction, a lot of accidents actually happen, and even at home, because ladders aren't used properly. So we're not going to like digress into a lecture on ladder safety here. <laughs> but when we went to a site and set up a ladder, especially in winter on frozen ground, there was a couple of steps that we would, would take to make sure that this thing would work. When you go on a site of a new home in winter, there's these huge lumps of frozen dirt and clay and rocks and stuff all over the place from when the backhoe dug the basement. And so you have to knock all of that stuff down and level it as best you can, but it doesn't always level really well. And so we would put down a sheet of plywood, and we'd nail a cleat on that plywood, and we'd take the, the legs of the ladder and put them against that, 
And then we would drive spikes through the plywood into the frozen ground so that the ladder or the plywood wouldn't shift. And then we tie the ladder off to the house so that it wouldn't kick out and we tie it off at the top as well. Now the plywood provided a firm foundation for that ladder to sit on. Without it, it would be very unstable and, and possibly tip and there'd be injuries. Now to follow the imagery of the ladder concept through, Jesus is like that plywood underneath the ladder of our developing Christian character. Faith in Jesus and the attending empowerment of the Holy Spirit, those are the foundation that give the believer the, the stability and the ability to progress in their spiritual growth in that 100%, 100% partnership. Us giving all of our effort and the Holy Spirit contributing to infinity. So here's the character traits. First one is moral excellence. You're a chosen people. Oh, sorry, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. So back to 1 Peter, and we're not in 2 Peter here with this, but this is what it says. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, the excellence of God's people, or the ultimate fulfillment of God's people, is to proclaim and reflect the nature and character of Jesus. He's the one who's called us into this marvelous light. To put it simply, moral excellence means to grow in Christ-likeness. It means to increasingly grow in our, in our understanding of the character and ways of Jesus, and then to reflect the character of ways of Jesus in our relationships and in our actions with all of those around us. Moral excellence, for Peter's audience, stood in stark contrast to the moral degradation of the pagan culture that was around them. Next trait, knowledge. Knowledge in terms of Christian character actually incorporates two different pieces. First, the knowledge of the Word of God, including an understanding and embracing of sound doctrine. Now, false teaching, refuting false teaching, is one of the things, one of the themes that we see throughout 2 Peter. And so when Peter lays these character traits, he's starting to, to push back on that and say, hey, this is what we need to embrace here. So diligence, uh, refuting false teaching, and then looking at Jesus' second coming. Those are some of the themes that come out in 2 Peter, and you can see him kind of pressing into to that second theme there. Right now, today, our major theme is diligence, though. Changing. So knowledge. Um, knowledge of sound doctrine. But it's a practical knowledge of that sound doctrine as well. And from there, we learn to live a godly life. It's a practical knowledge. A knowledge of how we as followers of Christ ought to think, ought to use our tongue, and how to behave. The knowledge exemplified by someone of strong Christian character stood again in stark contrast to the false knowledge that the false teachers, the Gnostics, were spreading around in the church. Self-control. It's the last item in the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. It's the qualification of elders seen in Titus uh, 1 verse 8. And it's used by Paul in his spiritual metaphor of the athlete who runs to win in 1 Corinthians 9. So self-control, I think we all know, speaks of that denying oneself of those things that are not good for you. That's kind of the slant on it here. Denying those things that are not good for you or helpful in terms of you forming godliness in your life. Self-control is actually the ability to put knowledge into practice. And that's the previous trait. So we're sort of moving up that ladder here. Place, uh, practicing self-control, again, was the exact opposite of the excesses of the false teacher in the culture that they were in. Perseverance. It's actually self-control for the long run as trials and temptations come. It's the capacity to endure hardship and distress long term. 
Perseverance springs from faith in God's goodness and faith in God's control over all the things that happen in the life of the believer. To put it in a simple way, it's the ability to view the times through God's eyes. And that's something that's so important for us in all of what's changing in our world today. To see what's happening around us through God's eyes is, is incredible. And this empowers a follower of Jesus then to continue with a strong faith, regardless of what's happening in the world. Godliness. The fruit of perseverance is godliness. We see this building again. Godliness is living in reverence of God in every situation. It's a practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. It's the attitude that gives God his rightful place in every thought, every word, and every activity. Godliness manifests itself in the believer's relationships, especially in brotherly kindness and love. And that's the next, the next traits. Brotherly kindness comes from the Greek word Philadelphia, phileo, which means brotherly love. It's that feeling of kindness, of affection and care that exists among family members. And it refers to the warm affection the believers are, are to extend to one another, especially those who are of the family of God. Galatians 6.10 talks about that. Now, the last character trait is love. And in the Greek language, there were actually three words for love. Phileo, which is the root of Philadelphia, or friendship love. Eros, it's the root of erotic or romantic love. And then agape. And agape is the, the word, the Greek word for love that, that Peter is using here. Agape is a self-sacrificing love. It's a self-sacrificing commitment to seek the highest good of others. Agape is the word that's used of Christ, who loved us so much that he gave himself for, up, for us. Agape is the sort of love that believers are to have for each other. Now, this self-sacrificing agape love, that's at the top of the ladder. It's the top rung in terms of character development. It's the pinnacle of character for the believer in Christ, to love one another. It's the highest trait that we are aiming for. And as we think about that even this morning, climbing this ladder, growing in our character trait, I, in our character, I, I think we need to, to take a moment just to ask ourselves a question. I'm just really tied into our context even today. What does this mean for our Ebenezer family, our Ebenezer community of faith right here, right now? It's no secret at all that we've been through a very divisive time within our country. I mean, anyone who turns the news on knows about it. Vaccine, no vaccine. Mask, no mask. Freedom convoy, no freedom convoy. You know, this stuff is out there in our culture, and it's definitely found its way to, to the inner sanctum of the church as well. It's affected our relationships. And so I, th I think we need to just take a moment this morning and even think, regardless of your position or your politics, we, we need to be asking ourselves a question here. How are we choosing love in this season? How are we choosing love in terms of what's going on in our country and, and in the way that it's infiltrated the church? How are we choosing love? Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ with that agape love that self-sacrificing love that Christ calls us to, that highest character trait. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your conversations have been like over the course of the last couple of years or even today. But if you sense that God is saying, hey, there's something I want to challenge you on, then, then pay attention to that. That's the Spirit of God wanting to grow us in these character traits. 
And that may even include going to a brother or sister and saying, hey, you know what? I blew it here. I want to make that right. That's God doing his work to bring the body back together again, to bring unity, but also to grow your character. And that's always a good thing. So I'd encourage you to pay attention to that if, if you're sensing God working on you in that way this morning. Third point, the follower of Jesus who pursues spiritual growth will become useful and fruitful. Eight and nine, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So here we find Peter describing the diligent believer as useful and fruitful by giving us a picture of someone who's not. So he turns it right upside down, turns it on its head, and he describes the, the useless and unfruitful believer. This believer, the one who is not diligent and who does not make a concerted effort to develop their godly character, Peter says, you're useless, you're unfruitful. And he goes on to call them blind and short-sighted. And this literally is a picture, I think, of something that we've all experienced. You've been at the lake, you're sitting around the campfire, you know, maybe in your backyard, you've got, a, you've got a fire going in your fire pit, and all of a sudden the wind blows the wrong way and that smoke goes in your eyes and it just burns. And you, you shut your eyes for a minute and you turn away and then you know you just got to get out of that. And you stand up and you take like a step and you're, you don't want to trip over all the wiener sticks that are there or whatever else is around your campfire. And so you're just really careful, and you can't see, and you hardly take a step. And like, that's the picture that Peter is pointing to here. That's the picture that he's drawing for us here. It's literally the person who is unable to see because of the smoke in their eyes, and then they, they can only see like literally one step in front of them. And when we put it into the spiritual perspective, this, this is the believer, the useless believer, who's only able to see what's right here, earthly stuff. That's how he's describing the one who isn't diligent. They're only looking what's right in front of them, the stuff, the stuff of this world. And then he says they've forgotten their purification from their former sins. That's the new American. They've forgotten they're forgiven. That's what they're living like. Their short-sightedness, that smoke in their eyes has caused them to lack perspective and focus on, uh, and focus rather, on those things which are truly important, and that's growing in godliness, reflecting who Jesus is to the community around us. That's the picture of the one who is not diligent. But this is not what the believer who is intent on spiritual growth is like. Back in verse 4, and this was from Leighton's section last week, Peter said this, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature. So when we trust in Jesus, we're changed. The old nature, our old nature is crucified with Christ, Romans 6, 6. And the divine nature that Peter speaks of in verse 4 now becomes a part of who we are. The believer who's intent on spiritual growth fosters the development of this new godly nature and character traits as Peter has just mentioned. That's where he's going. That's where they're pressing on. Now, on occasion, I hang out in the foyer during the second service. Uh, I'll be in the back or, you know, watching to see if there's help. Check, I'm taking in the service in the first service. And then in the back, there's kids coming and going and things happening with Rush. And so I kind of keep my eyes open for that. But every once in a while, there's a bunch of parents out there with their little kids. And I have to tell you, I really enjoy watching these little ones and the parents who are with them. Kids are crawling all over the place. They're pulling themselves up on the furniture. Some are chasing toys, you know. Some are playing with the door stops. 
and you kind of hope that they don't get their fingers pinched, but they're, they're curious, they're learning, they're growing, right? And as you're watching these little ones, you just know that they're going to get bigger. They're going to grow up, they're going to go to school, they're going to get into high school, they're going to be driving one of these days, you know, they might get married and have a family of their own. And you know, that's what's going to happen, because that's what kids do. It's in their DNA to grow and mature, especially when they're in a good home where they're nurtured and, and cared for. As followers of Jesus, it's in our DNA. We've got that divine nature. It's in our DNA to grow and mature and become fruitful. We've been given that nature. It's in us to bear fruit. And so when we feed that new nature, just like the parent who nurtures that little child, when we do our part to, do our, to con, um, contribute our best effort, when we work with that and we're diligent to develop that character, that new nature, then we'll grow and will not be useless or unfruitful. And instead, we'll become useful instruments in the hand of our Father and King. And great fruitfulness will be the result. And I love the, the Living Bible here, John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. Apart from me, you can't do a thing. Here's a third thing I want to, or fourth thing rather, I want to point out this morning. The follower of Jesus who grows spiritually will have assurance of eternity. 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, it's pretty obvious, I think, through this whole section of Scripture today, Peter is calling believers to be diligent, to change, to grow, to move forward in, in godliness. And, and as we wrap up these last two verses here, he's issuing that challenge again, but here he connects it from a different angle to the calling and election of God. The one who's truly been called by God will show evidence of that calling by the way that they live their lives. Since this is true, the opposite is true as well. To live without any desire to develop godly character causes us to question whether that person is, has really made a commitment to Christ to begin with. Peter makes this connection between the believer's effort and their calling to challenge those who've embraced the false teaching that had infiltrated the church. And here we're just going to name what that was. This teaching said that since salvation was not based on good deeds, and it's not, we can't earn it. We give effort, but we don't earn it. But since salvation is not based on good deeds, then believers could live however they wanted. That was the false teaching that was going on in the church there. And it appears that a number of believers uh, bought into this. And they were living in some pretty crazy sexual sin, just like many of the pagans in the culture around them. Now, I don't think that Peter's talking about eternal security here. However, figuratively speaking, he's firing a shot across the bow of those who had fallen for this teaching. And he's saying this, guys, if you have really responded to the call of God in your life, why are you living like this? Why are you walking so close to the line? Why are you living like someone who's, you know, gotten their eternal fire insurance papers in, in order, but then they live like, like Jesus doesn't even make a difference? What you're doing should never happen. That's what he's telling them. Instead, if you truly responded to God's calling, then you should match his call upon your life with your greatest desire and with your greatest effort to grow and live a godly life. That's what he's challenging him with there. And then if you go back to verse 10, it says this, For if you do these things, 
If you're diligent to grow in your faith, if you're working with the help of the Spirit to develop godly character, then you'll never stumble. You won't get tripped up by sin because you're walking far away from it instead of as close to it as you can possibly get. And that's what was happening. And then he closes with this from our section today. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. Anybody here know the name Emily Clark? Okay. Nikki, you do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Emily Clark was part of the Canadian women's hockey team that won gold in China. Okay. She lives here in Saskatoon. And a couple of weeks back, she, she returned to our city. And of course, you can imagine what's going on in the airport. You know, people are calling her name, and there's banners, and they're clapping, and they're cheering. They're welcoming, welcoming her home, right? And they should. Great celebration. Team play great. But that's the picture, actually, in this passage of a rich welcome. It's of the Olympic athlete who's, who's victorious returning to their hometown. That's what's there. And that's the rich welcome. That's what's in, waiting in eternity for those who have come alongside of this amazing work that God has done on our behalf and work so diligently, and, and when you've worked diligently to grow as followers of his. So I got a question for us. And I got a question for the music team. Do you guys want to come up, please? So they're going to come up, but I got a question for us. Bigger group here. If Jesus were to return today and walk into our foyer and see you again, what would you say? Would you say you haven't changed a bit? You look exactly the same as you did the day I first met you. Would that be Christ's words to us, to you, to me? Peter's challenge today has been to, to make change, to grow, all right? Now, maybe there are some of us here today who've been working like crazy, but it's been at your business or your leisure activity, whatever that might be, or building your bank account. You've been burning the candle at both ends, but neither end has anything to do with the pursuit of Jesus. Working hard, but on the wrong things. Others here may relate more closely to those in Peter's letter who'd been taken in by false teaching. You know, you've made a commitment to Christ. Excuse me. You made a commitment to Christ, but your life isn't lining up with the character of Jesus. You know, you've gotten that insurance policy in place, <laughs> covered for fire, but no one can tell the difference between you and the guy who's far away from Jesus because of how you're living. Or maybe you've been working super hard, you know, trying to please Jesus, but you've never trusted him. You've never asked him to actually be the Lord of your life. You're doing all the right things, but you're trying to earn your way into God's good graces. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. But I do know one thing. You don't have to work hard that way. It doesn't work. We can't earn our way into heaven. But we can put aside our attempts to earn our salvation and make the decision to trust what Jesus has done on our behalf. Now this morning, <laughs> and this is the same for me here in, in second services and first, I can't see your heart. In all honesty, with all the lights in my eyes, I can hardly see past the first few rows. <laughs> there we go. 
I can't see your hearts, but God, God can. And you know your hearts. And so if there's something from Peter's letter here this morning that challenged you, we're just going to give you a couple minutes here, a minute, maybe two. I just want to encourage you. Make that stuff right with God. Lay before him whatever is convicting you on it. Maybe it's that commitment to Christ. Maybe it's a, a sin that you need to turn away from. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'm going to work hard, but on the right stuff. Whatever it is, between you and God, just take a couple minutes here. Take the opportunity to make that right. Father, this morning we want to thank you for your word and for the way that it speaks to us. Thank you that the Spirit of God teaches us and challenges us, challenges us and even exhorts us at times. And Father, I want to pray for the one today who was maybe walking too close, um, getting caught up in things where we ought not uh, be involved. I just pray that we might repent and turn from that, make that U-turn and, and head back to you in a, in a strong and powerful way with a new commitment to make great effort to respond to what you've done for us. I want to pray for the one who's been working hard but on the wrong things. Pray that you might give us that ability to focus, to refocus, not just on what's in, in front of us, but on that eternal perspective. And if there's someone here, Lord, today who has been working hard but never trusted you, we just pray for that one as well. If they would reach out even now and say, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. Come in and forgive me. Father, we thank you for all of these things, for the way that you speak to us, for the way that you use us, for the way that you empower us to live that godly life and to be a witness for you uh, to whoever's around us. And we ask that you would do that great work even now. Thank you again that all of this is based on the love of Jesus and the fact that he gave himself for us and that all of what we receive is, is based on that great truth. Thank you for all of this now. We lay ourselves before you, asking you to empower us to make that change.
Jesus' name.
Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.